0: Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. This week we are talking to Paul Richards. If you're any fan of the gaming industry, that name might ring a bell. From Darksiders, to Halo, to Fortnite, and more, Paul's career spans two decades and a significant number of iconic game designs but one of Paul's greatest achievements is the amount of educational material he has shared with the world. For anyone interested in the principles of strong design work, Paul has left us at least half a dozen very extensive resources for learning strong fundamentals and advanced theory, and all of it for free. Moreover, Paul is an open book, is incredibly generous with his time, and is excited to talk at length about a great many topics With anyone who shows true sincerity for learning. Early in our discussion we talked a little bit about his experience in the world of concept art and what his career trajectory has taught him. We then quickly move on to a long talk about his philosophies behind developing strong skills. We talk about what it means to be a good teacher and what it means to be a good learner. How those pursuing knowledge can be best served by giving them resources to discover truth for themselves rather than being spoon-fed, dry technical mechanics. Lastly, we talk a little bit about where he finds community on the internet, and how that keeps him from falling into a lot of the dangerous pitfalls of social media. I guarantee you will hear some things that will be very pleasant surprises. Here's the interview. We'll make this the the official start. Yeah, Paul, I, I always... Yeah, I always like to begin every one of these with a deep and sincere thank you. Um, I know you're a busy person, and this really means a lot for you to take some time to talk with us. Thank you.
1: Well, it's
2: it's my pleasure, and you know how it is. When you're trying to pass these crazy days, any kind of flutter in your schedule, it's welcome. This is a welcome break from the norm for me, so
0: yeah, thank you. fair enough. Um, Yeah, so while we wait, wait for moose to to come back um catch us up to speed a little bit if you can um maybe starting with your art background tell us a little bit about how you came to art how it grabbed you and sucked you in
2: sure well you know like i was born in 1978 in midwest u.s uh, wisconsin hello midwesterners and you know i was pre-internet the internet kind of came about right when i was in my late teens so a lot of my early exposure to art just kind of came through uh, films growing up and comic books, you know, like it's, it sounds so kind of trite now, but Star Wars and uh, Saturday comics like Calvin and Hobbes and Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. Uh, There was a comic shop in my hometown that kind of fed into that love But I think I was drawing, you know, since grade school and I always kind of had my brothers to follow that lead so it was more just kind of like sustained interest and people helping me a- along the way. You know, I had very encouraging parents. I had a- an early employer who was very encouraging and pushed me towards the right people who were interested in the same stuff. Uh, so um, yeah, it uh, it was a natural interest that was nurtured.
0: We've had a lucky run of people talking about having supportive parents. <laughs> and that's run counter to the, you know, more typical trope that you hear about where people are lamenting the resistance that they received from their family when they were talking about wanting to be an artist as a profession. Did did that did that support how how early on did you recognize that this was something that you wanted to do professionally and did the support continue once it migrated from casual hobbyist interest into, you know, determined career path.
2: I don't know that it even had a chance uh, to languish because I felt like I was clutched out of the nest right after graduating high school uh, by, um, you know, pure happenstance, a really lucky kind of, um, I guess you could call it dot com boom kind of break. Uh, you know, nowadays I see 21-year-olds that are drawing circles around me, so I don't know if I could have uh, broke into my field uh, again now. But, uh, you know, I think the, the parents probably saw me struggling in a lot of other aspects of school, but they knew that art was always a thing that I was strongly uh, pulled towards. So they put me in classes, uh, you know, like set me to kind of like art camps and things like that over the summer and um, kind of got me out of my shell a little bit. And then I had uh, sort of an uh, adopted uncle in the form of a guy that ran a comic book shop who gave me, you know, a, a chance to be around the art that I loved and start to intermingle with people more, which, you know, but prior to that, I don't know that I had a whole lot of social skills, but yeah, there, you know, whether it was my parents or, you know, the proprietor of that business or all the people from that comic shop who were so good at art, uh, you know, um, my, my my friend James Daly, uh, who is a concept art for games, uh, gave me my start, and I'm still in contact with him uh, to this day. So these people are all kind of floating around my life still.
0: I might have caught a little bit of glitch in the audio. Can, it gave you your start as what?
2: As a as a concept artist.
0: Yeah, but where was as it? The, I, th- I think you mentioned at at the at the the name of.
2: Oh well, yeah. The very the very first job I got it was in nineteen ninety seven at a game company called Ion Storm, oh, which was okay. sort of a offshoot from from ID Software. I don't think I mentioned it. I was blasted through a bunch of names, but uh, yeah, I've, I've always had a lot of support and people kind of on the sidelines telling me that I could do it.
0: Okay, so even did if you I perhaps
2: wasn't the brightest bulb?
0: So did you manage to just skip over like going to art school and art center? And all of that kind of like every other concept art <laughs> seems to go to like F- either FCD or Art Center. That you just managed yeah. to skirt right by that.
2: It was a in, in high school. What they have you do is they have you prepare an independent study, and you had to assemble slides like old school slides that you put in a projector and ship them yeah. off to like local art colleges. And I think I sent my stuff to my ad which was the milwaukee institute of art and design and then mcad which was the minneapolis college of art and design and uh i, th- I think i was poised to go to mcad in minnesota and then didn't because i got this break and i think there was always the possibility that if it didn't work out i could always go back and go to school but i think the the parents were pretty encouraging of me just seizing the opportunity and uh, you know f- from from their outlook i'm sure it looked great it's like uh dodging a bullet you don't have to put your kid through
0: college (laughs) so right from the beginning were you excited about the type of work that you were going to be doing Uh, you've mentioned in in the in the past uh, or alluded to the fact that you don't really have like a lot of patience or interest in fully realized rendering and you know like all of the the sparkle and fancy um so get, going into the concept art world where you just immediately grabbed like, yes, this is a perfect fit for me.
2: Well, yeah, a, I, I think things were a lot more forgiving back there in terms of what you could turn in as acceptable work. But even then, I was like, I remember drawing off the edge of the paper. I remember doing all kinds of rookie things uh, where, um, you know, it was uh, the, the the work was the epitome of informal I think over the years uh, there's been more formality introduced to the profession, the, 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 the visual bar is kind of always rising and that's somewhat to do with um, people who aren't necessarily in creative roles entering the industry that need to be pitched to, and they can't see it. So you kind of have to spell it out. But at the time, you know, it, it was more raw. I was way more raw and uh, it was just kind of, a pleasant happenstance that i had yeah kind of like lucked into a profession wherein
1: uh it was acceptable to not present oneself in their sunday best
0: is do you mean uh you yourself literally yourself personally or the artwork that you're creating or both
1: (laughs) kind
2: of kind of both i remember it was it was like we I would go to work in a building that was mainly for bankers and uh, everybody in there was, you know, uh, everybody uh, at Ion Storm was dressed kind of how I'm dressed now, just slacks and t-shirt and, uh, you know, you're standing in an elevator with people wearing three piece suits and uh, yeah, a really informal industry, uh, um, pre-HR industry, Everyone, everyone, kind of flying by the seat of their pants. You had, you know, raw, unproven people that, you know, weren't weren't college educated and were just kind of there on on hearsay because they they got through an interview, okay, they got you know with their portfolio. Um, they just had the they, they they were probably cheap. You know, I, I I don't think I cost too much back then, and I was really you know I was a real eager beaver. I didn't know uh, a lot of what was expected. So I had to kind of learn as I went following the example of people who were older and more experienced, of which there were many, you know, like I say, like I'm self-taught, but I don't think any artist is really self-taught. You, you, you look at what your peers are up to and you're comparing yourself always.
3: So, um, personally, when I took my first job, I didn't negotiate the uh, salary at all. In fact, I accepted the job before they even mentioned the word salary. So, um, was that uh, a similar experience for you or did you, uh, what was the way back then concept art, right?
1: It was,
2: uh, you know, I, I, it was all abstract to me, right? Because I'm not really a, I'm not really a number guy. <laughs> I, like I, I, I hate thinking about finances. And as an 18 year old kid who'd never left the nest, 25K a year sounded like a whole lot of money to me. And, you know, as a, as a single little kid, you know, I moved into like a, uh, a two bedroom in uh, in Dallas somewhere and got by just fine. You know, I had a little car, tootled around, uh, just saved the money. I wasn't really thinking too much about the future. Yeah, certainly at the time, didn't think to negotiate. I was just pleased as punch that I had the opportunity. And, uh, you know, that would change later on, of course, you you get wise, people start talking more about that kind of thing. And, you, uh, through either getting laid off or quitting a job and going to the next one, that's how you kind of incrementally uh, raise your, 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 your money line. But uh, yeah, it was, it was more, I had a super low overhead and I just
3: wanted the work. It was almost like a paid mentorship at that point because you were so young and at least you weren't paying for school, but you're almost learning on the job.
1: Yeah, very much so.
0: So that means you've been in this career for, I, my math is not going to happen, 25 years? 30, 20 years?
1: Yeah I,
2: had, yeah, I had it placed at around 22 or 23. I've only been at my current job four years. So it's I, I consider that just a kind of little little slice out of a, a much larger pie. Although, you know, I, the game didn't really start to deepen until later. Those, those first few years, sometimes I don't even like to count that because I, I look back on some of it and it's just... Uh, I really didn't know what I was doing at all. And I think that that awareness um, or that lack of awareness actually helped me. You know, you guys probably talk about Dunning-Kruger and, you know, uh, it's easier to just plow ahead if you, if you don't know exactly what's expected of you.
0: We may have talked about things similar, but for anybody, maybe this is their first episode listening and you, hit that real quick what is the dunning kruger and how do how do you see that applying to you
1: oh well yeah
2: dunning kruger is basically it's it's a curve that says when you're starting out you have a uh, very very low ability but super high confidence because you you don't know what you don't know and then as you go uh you know you meet people along the way who are better than you you see examples of people who are like trending higher or getting promoted and you're just like oh man you know this is harder than i thought and so even though your performance level is rising, your experience level is rising, your confidence uh, is going down. So um, to to go through the Dunning Kruger curve is to, at some point, uh, kind of level out where you still know what you don't know, and you're not you're not too cocky because you're, you're, you you re- you you realize where you sit in like the grand hierarchy now, but it's advantageous. You know, it's why a lot of bands, like their 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 first albums, sound so good and so raw because they're just starting out. They don't know all the rules of the industry. They're pure. They don't know what they what you know what's within their grasp and what's not. Uh, and that gives the work um, more of a fearlessness, I
1: think.
3: I've heard that said about Cake, uh, the band Cake specifically, where the more they learned about music theory, the worse their music got. <laughs>
2: yeah or you know they start off with a sound that's kind of like yeah it's like later their, their ears get more sophisticated and they learn more theory but their signature sound was something that they choose to depart from and suddenly they're doing stuff that's way off in left field and it's not what you signed up for
1: it's what they want for themselves as artists but it's not what their audience initially liked them for <laughs> I'm not to going...
3: move back on to concept art at some point.
0: <laughs> we'll get there. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, I, because I'm, I'm tempted to like dig into the 20 years of your experience. Uh, I'm not going to. Um, But one of the, the things that's particularly interesting is, for an artist is, um or would be interesting for an artist to hear is, the number of people in a job like concept art, the number of people that will bring their opinions to bear on the thing that you're creating. Um, you know this is a interesting position for an artist to be in when we think about my creation. and then in a situation like concept art, it's very much a, a group effort. Um, like what is What are your feelings on that? being in that position and speaking to people that might be coming into this a little bit less experienced what are some things to kind of anticipate and expect as far as that goes
2: oh man yeah i guess you could call it the the collaborative arts like um, just going into it with that knowledge of all right once i punch in uh, it's no longer about me uh it's it's up to me to bring my my verve and my enthusiasm and my ideas however i'm you know i'm meant to be malleable to listen um uh, ultimately i feel like um a lot of people just want to they want to be heard they want to want to make sure that their direction is being kind of like embraced and followed but they uh, will also appreciate you trying to kind of not push back, but try to help them along. It's like, oh, okay, cool, that that sounds like a good idea. You know, what if we what if we gave it this to kind of enhance that even further? Uh, they want you to kind of um, be able to kind of keep the dialogue uh, rolling along. Um, certainly, certainly there can be a lot of waste. Uh, I, th- I think in any commercial enterprise, uh, you know, in our capitalistic society, there's going to be a lot of, uh, of waste. People are always wanting something new. Uh, so to, to get at that and, and, and try to define what it is and what people might go for, you have to kind of thrash through a lot of iterations. And that can sometimes seem, uh, seem wasteful. You can sometimes feel as though you've, you've hit upon something really special, but then, uh, it's just, it's just kind of not what the rest of the collective, deems cool so you have to kind of eat that and move on happens quite a lot i I can't say that you reach a point where you're ever fully
1: at peace with it Um, and i think i would be disturbed if the part of me that
2: found that unsettling uh, went away completely because it would be a sign that i had you know no longer had any faith in my own ideas And I I was just a mercenary, you know, like, um, so in a way, the the collaborative arts kind of, they'll remind you of what you value Uh, by, by not taking a certain path that you wanted to do. It serves the twofold function of educating you as to other options, but then also kind of in the back of your head, you're like, yeah, this is really what I'm all about. I'll, I'll have to remember that.
3: Yeah. We had, um, Stumpy on Stumpy Fongo on the show a few weeks ago, and he felt like he was a uh, hired wrist because he was always told to do a certain thing, and he always had to do that certain thing. He was never given much freedom in what he was able to do. So now that he's totally gone from the, uh, the arena on, on his own, he knows exactly what he wants to do because it, now that's all he has to do. It's a, it's, a, it's a
2: fortunate position, particularly if you're the sort of person that it's really easy for you to r- arrive at something definitive. Personally, for me, it's never doing things that are definitive. I think Joby mentioned it earlier, my, my reticence to create images that have, you know, uh, you know 4K resolution. Um, I've always kind of been at peace with something being not resolute, and I'm never quite concerned that a thing that I work on will be realized to the letter. Um, so I'm. I think I'm. I, I've at least embraced the idea that well, there's a lot of ways that things can be, and even if it's not the way that I want, um, that, that's fine. Uh, seeing seeing
1: the infinite possibilities or whatever is sometimes that's where your joy can lie, like the what ifs.
3: But do you ever feel like? Uh some part of you is being waste part of your uh, talent or uh, your ability is being wasted when uh, they opt to go with the, what you consider to be the inferior route.
2: Sure. I mean, sometimes they can feel like you're giving somebody gold and that they're, they're like these reverse alchemists that are kind of taking it and converting <laughs> it into bronze after the fact. And so uh, it's hard for you to see uh, why a thing is being taken in a certain direction. I think that's something that anybody working for any client can and empathize with but it's like that the letting go and uh, of, of the idea of ownership um, at least in a uh, communal atmosphere winds up being healthier in the long run and I always have this kind of thought in the back of my head where it's like okay well I can still at will uh, in my sketchbook do anything that I really want um, just Just because i 'm impeded in one arena doesn 't mean that my hands are tied in all other arenas it 's just a chunk of my output i 'd be very concerned if I had sunk all of my eggs into you know the the game industry basket, but as it happens, I have eggs in other baskets and um, uh, sometimes I feel um, intense loss and frustration, just like anybody would then there's this feeling underneath of like having bigger fish to fry and in the grand scheme of things it's really of no cosmic import
0: how early on in the course of your career as a concept artist did you start other fires um and tend to then start tending to them and was it a result of just diverse interests or was there ever a point where you're like this industry can be kind of a millstone, so I need other things to keep my creative energies going? Or how did that work for you?
1: Well,
2: uh, people will talk about things like passive income, right? You make a tutorial or something, you throw it up on Gumroad, it's passive income. People download it now and then. Uh, I've I've always been a big believer in passive output. Uh, (laughs) I, I feel like there's a certain kind of art that comes from people that is like their natural runoff and it just always for me has collected. And it's been just a question of, well, where, where do I catch it and where do I put it? The, the, the images never stop. Um, it's, it's only a matter of, uh, I I guess the, the, the size and shape of the vessel that they're being poured into. They started taking, uh, on a more purposeful shape. I think when I began doing online tutorials and doing more kind of public speaking things, I realized that there was more to what I was doing that had use to people apart from the images themselves. Uh, but I've always just been a fan of the act of drawing and drawings just in and of themselves with no plan for them being anything Other than what they are, uh, an an inked piece, a painting, uh, a game, an animation. Um, I've always just kind of wanted to kind of keep pursuing the act, and having that be sacred above all else.
0: So, what keeps you motivated now? What keeps you fired up in the in the work that you are doing? Um, You know, being a well-established. Artist and having achieved so many awesome, phenomenal goals, what's left?
2: <laughs> yeah, you mentioned you spoke to somebody else who, who mentioned, like, well, now I've done everything I wanted to do. I've ticked all these boxes. And so it's just a matter of making more money. I think that's the, the anecdote. But uh, for, for me, it's much like uh, the older you get, the more you realize you don't know. And so uh, getting back to the whole Dunning Kruger thing. Uh, when you get into new chapters of life, other things catch your fancy. Things that I was really interested in at 22 uh, went away when I was 32. Now I'm 42. And I expect the things that I'm interested in at 52 to be completely different from what I'm aiming at now. So um, uh, I'm I'm not a planner. I just kind of am drawn to things and, and I'm impressed upon. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting to receive things so that I can process them and then send them out. And part of the thrill is kind of not knowing what's going to catch my interest. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a seeker and I like to to kind of get out there and mix and mingle and like look for answers and look under rocks and you know, I, I enjoy kind of being game industry adjacent and seeing everything that's going on there. And I enjoy watching film and seeing what's going on there. Uh, but uh, just operating on whatever takes my fancy in the moment is how I attain bliss. I always find that when I'm trying to fashion that into something, you know, concrescent, that's when I start to get really miserable. (laughs) I just, I I like to share an evangelized uh, drawing related stuff, um, techniques. And uh, I like talking with other people about their journeys with art, kind of similar to what you're doing here, because um, when the, when the lens is turned inward all the time, it can be very depressing. Um, So it's, I, I find more of those discoveries through talking to other people. And so you know, here we're having this this fellowship. Five years down the line, I might meet another Joby Dorr and have another similar discussion and trade ideas. And you know, uh, might be sent off on a completely you know different tangent. Um, a lot of my work, I feel like, is born through kind of chaotic forces, and I kind of rely on those same chaotic forces to keep me interested.
3: Well, this it's is interesting the- that. Go ahead, Mr. It's interesting that you uh, say that you're constantly changing your interests like, uh, and you expect your future interests to be different. Because one of the uh, most common pieces of advice I've heard for uh, t- getting uh, artists inspired is to look backwards. Like, look, what were they interested in when they were 12 years old? That sort of thing. Because maybe that will inspire what they want to do right now.
1: Sure. I, know, I think we all navel gaze and get back
2: into our kind of, like, little nostalgic what started us off thing. You know, just the other night I was thumbing through Art of Return of the Jedi, you know, looking at old ship designs and stuff. Uh, Or, like, I'll revisit The Dark Crystal because that was a movie that really influenced me growing up. But uh, I think it's somewhat folly to, to think that... I mean, to some degree we don't change, but a lot of things in our life do change. You know, like, I was a lot angrier, I think, earlier on, and I've mellowed out some, which I'll, I'll, I'll chalk up to the love of a good woman. But it's like, you, you move through these different phases of life, your priorities are shifting around, your hormones are going up and down. And so yeah, I expect what I value now to be different from what I value 10 years hence. Some things will stay. Some things are are evergreen, almost. But then some of the things you'd think would be evergreen do wind up waning after a time, you know? The world moves on, or you move on. Uh, and you, and you, you, you mourn the loss of those things because they brought you so much pleasure, but uh, other things kind of seep in to fill the gaps.
0: So this is to say you have no long-term... Uh I don't wanna say no long term goals, but you don't have like a exit strategy for the work that you currently do to say, Oh, uh, I can't wait till this thing finally kicks in, and I can blah blah blah
2: there's there's i am i i'm I'm not gonna bring up karma like a thing that I actually believe in, but I do think there is sort of a get in where you fit in um organic thing that happens when you, when you follow your, your heart's desire. And so uh, I, I, I believe that I'm not aggressively trying to kind of shape my destiny at every turn, but through following my interests, I do wind up with people that uh, they kind of keep the heat on or that they're, they're nurturing people. They're um, uh, just by virtue of knowing them, I'm, I'm bound to keep heading somewhere. You know, a piece of artistic advice that you often hear is like, well, just keep at it and don't quit. And so via not working in a total vacuum, you, you ensure that you don't quit. And I sort of, I guess it's a, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting that things will kind of work out, but I've, I've put out teaching materials and that's led to some, you know, in-classroom teaching. Um, you know, I've, I've done things with the, the Noman workshop. I've done things with like a few local trade schools. Um, I'm not adverse to public speaking and I love working in, you know, kind of closed groups one-on-one with people who are interested in this sort of thing. So, um, it's just a natural inclination that I don't have to force. And, uh, perhaps I'll put that away and pick up something else in five years. And then I'll be all about that, but for now i'm I haven't exhausted this current well, so uh, why stop
0: yeah, fair enough um this is this all sounds very healthy and and well adjusted, and <laughs> I'm wondering if there are it's a grand,
1: grand deception <laughs> if
0: there are demons in the closet and not and not to drag them out into the light of day. But I think that it's always good to, you know, give a, a sort of like a balanced view of things. What are the, what for you, what has been some of the more negative repercussions of your career path, I guess, most specifically? And what have you done to sort of negotiate that?
2: Well, you can be delusional and I don't, I think that that helps in a lot of ways. Like, uh, you drink a cup of coffee, you feel like you're on top of the world. You feel like all your ideas mean something really, really intense. And, um, you can, you can kind of do a lot of work just on the fumes of self-delusion. When people speak of art blocks, they, it's, that's usually what, when that delusion has gone away and you, you can't, um, you can't convince yourself that what you're about to do is worthwhile. So you don't do it. So like uh, if, if you're around the wrong people, um, it's, it's really easy to get snapped out of that. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll pursue this line of thought or whatever. It's just it snaps you out of it and you're gone. Uh, delusion can be, can be bad though. The The flip side of it is, you know, getting, getting really immersed in something that, you know, in the long run, ultimately, is uh, it's taking you away from um, more important real life matters. Maybe it's you're spending too much time huddled in front of a monitor and not enough time, you know, calling your mom or taking walks with your SO or um, getting pulled into a world of
1: fantasy that ultimately doesn't fulfill.
0: Um. So, with that in mind, and digging in specifically to world of concept art as a profession, um, I've noticed the pattern. (laughs) You you may be self aware of it that there is a lot of uh, tongue in cheek that you have sometimes when discussing concept art as a as a profession. How how much of that is just kind of like a little silly ribbing, and how much of it is somewhat genuine
1: struggle that you um, that you experience personally. Yeah, it's been interesting seeing this
2: industry kind of go from being super informal and Joshy to being super formal and everybody kind of uh, being a little bit more buttoned down and um, having to be super respectful and diplomatic because you're working with larger and larger teams you don't maybe have intimate relationships with the people that you work with, so it's all very kind of surface level. Uh, I use humor as kind of a reminder of uh, the person I am, that I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm here to have fun and um, hopefully make the work experience enjoyable beyond the, the, the product that I'm offering. That, that said, I'm not always pleasant to be around. I can get really... Snippy and impatient, and um, that's something that I always have to kind of keep in check. But humor is another disarming thing. Well, it's like just you know throwing your hands up every once in a while and just saying, "Like, okay, oh well, it's it's uh, it's only a game or whatever." It's like after I'm done with this, we'll move on to the next one, and uh, you know, a month later, it won't even matter. So um, why why get why get bound up in it? But
3: Yeah, I think a prime example of that would be uh, Hob for you, where uh, I was really looking forward to the game when it was coming out, and then I later saw that it was you that did the work, a lot of the concept work, and then when the game came out, it just dropped support completely, because the uh, company that was running it just totally ran out of money and went bankrupt. bankrupt.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, there's a big long story there, and I was part of a a lineage of very very talented people who worked on that kind of flop of a game, but yeah, you're just just kind of like for a good long while you mourn it. And then you and your friends will be be typing about all the sour grapes and stuff, but, uh, you know, eventually it washes away and you look back on it, uh, as one would look back on a camping trip where terrible things happened, but the things that you remember are more of the positive takeaways. Mm. Certainly, there are there are things going on in concept art that I kind of think are are kind of goofy or uh, too too much formatted or uh, I'm 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 not seeing individual voices appear and you know I, I have my I have my scruples there uh, but for for me and I think Joby I think I I made you aware that kind of one of the pillars of my um, of, of my whole artistic life is that you know that, that the self is important that the self should 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 ring out in the work and and i would i would hope that all of my bigness and all of my pettiness all of my humor that lands or doesn't land that that all goes into the work that would when, when people look at my stuff they kind of see it, an honest representation of who i am like what i what i'm into what i'm about what they can expect uh, just by looking at the stuff, I, w- I want, I want, to, and you could argue that that's kind of unhealthy because people talk about divorcing their, their artistic output from who they are as a person, the career and, and the man. But, um, no, no, I, 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 I like that I am my work and that my work is kind of me. It doesn't serve me in other areas because I can take it really personally when something doesn't go my way.
3: Um, but, yeah. uh, that's common, right? Yeah.
1: It's it's your choice I guess how much you want to inject your whatever ethos or uh, ha- have your real life show up in your in your artistic output.
0: Yeah, you you you've made enough jokes about the uh the T-pose, the quintessential concept art T-pose for me to infer and you can correct me if this is not accurate that you see that as sort of an a symbolic representation of a lot of those things that you were just talking about, um, or the, a, a roadblock to a lot of those things that you were just talking about in terms of um, the voice of an artist <laughs> and how their inner self can manifest in the work that they do. And so in concept art, it seems like that's, that can be particularly tricky. You, you have so many great philosophies about art, and, 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 and that comes out in your teaching a lot, and we'll we'll talk about that soon. Um, but yeah, you have so much great philosophy to offer, and I wonder how you correlate a lot of the more, um, you know, uh, more of this philosophy, more of this intellectual experience in our life that you have regarding art with something that seems much more static and linear when it comes to to concept art.
2: There there's ways to sneak it in. Uh uh-huh. there's you want you want to abide by whatever templates or formats or the going templates and formats and you, you want to be able to hold your work up to work that your peers are doing and you know de- deliver on some of the same notes but I I'm not going quietly into that good night. I still I still want to like kick and scream a little bit. I still want to, if, if there's a way I want to draw something, if I think it'll put an idea over a little bit better, or I just have an itch to, you know, make a little call out of a, of a, of a snarly face, making a certain expression, if I think it will make the page uh, look a little bit nicer and make me more invested in it, uh, I'll, I'll do it. Ultimately, it might get scraped, but uh, I just consider that part of, the process and what I need for myself to get invested into the work—it's it'll, it'll be win-win, you know. If, if I'm not feeling it, uh, they're going to get something that's kind of slipshod. So I don't know that it's in their interest to stifle that too much. But I also am aware that you know uh, there's a kind of a standardization to some of it, and you don't you don't want to th- send the impression that you need to be treated like a special snowflake. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I do sometimes sort of lament that there is um, again if you're not working with people that know you intimately they might not be able to pick up on some of those eccentricities the, um, the very things that would be a plus become a minus
3: right but just and- keeping awareness of that is
1: helpful I think know, know when you're being too much of a diva
3: <laughs> In your uh, first, uh, so you've done some videos for the uh, Workshop Academy, uh, their YouTube channel, um, and what, the first one was uh, on creative trickery. Uh, what was it? I forgot the name of the video, but it was some. It had something to do with cr- uh, creating uh, a plate, right, where you had the, the the main dish, the side dish, and the plate. And yeah, the,
2: that- the meal. It's like my little shorthand narrative trick.
3: Right. So that seems like more of like an illustrative uh, a narrative illustration thing rather than a concept art thing. So uh, do you do that with your own work? Or is that something you were just advising people to do when they're trying to come up with ideas?
1: Well, I mean, you, um, again, it's like whatever, whatever it takes
2: you to kind of get into character, right? Like if, I don't know if this is applicable as much to concepts, but I think all of us want our work to kind of carry that that charge you know you want your creations to have a certain kind of consciousness, and as they're thinking through a problem, coming up with context uh, for their character helps you bring things to their character. An example might be uh, some kind of trader on an alien world and they're uh, they 're having to negotiate prices with people on goods so um as soon as you throw them into that context, you might be like, "Well, they would need some kind of gizmo in their hand, like a tricorder or something that would translate." Uh, they would they would maybe bring like muscle along with them or have weapons just in case the deal went off. Uh, they you know they, they would they would be probably carrying whatever goods they had to trade and the people that were you know they were meeting with. Um, depending upon how dangerous they were, you, you might i uh, want to equip your guys with some kind of special suit or, you know, depending upon the weather conditions uh, they might want to be all dressed in like snow parkas. So uh, uh, somebody recently was telling me that they don't think of gesture drawings as gestures anymore. Cause they, cause anything can be a gesture and like a swoopy ballet gesture is a gesture. And they like to think of everything in terms of being like purpose drawings and I really liked that idea. And um, when, when you talk about areas to grow into as an aging concept artist, uh, there's so many different scenarios that you realize you don't know how to do action, you don't know how to put across. There's always something new to figure out. And that to me is really stimulating, just like making people behave
1: in the way that people would behave and, and not um, not in a way that's contrived.
0: So how does that relate to when you're trying to come up with something like super fantastical? you know? I mean, like a lot of video game ideas get so far out into the world of fantasy Where's the balancing act for you know like you're coming up with something that is, by definition like super contrived <laughs> i mean you're, you're 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 you have to make it up from scratch so can how do you begin contextualizing that in something into something sort of like believable that has a place
1: well it, w- it would be
2: like in um s- subtle authentic body language like right now i'm doing this thing with my face where my my hands coming in front of my mouth and it's kind of a contemplated thinky pose it's a you could also say that since we're in an interview situation, I maybe feel a little bit guarded, so I'm I'm putting things up in front of my mouth almost as if to kind of catch the words as they come out because they're the wrong words. Uh, so,
1: being being like re- responding to situations of the gravity of the situation, even like physical forces like gravity or like fatigue
2: or like, how do you, how do you stand when you're in a negotiation? You know, are you haggling? Are you just standing there like bolt upright or are you hunched over, you know, like with your, with your jacket spread open and all your goods in the jacket? Um, There's so many ways to put that across in a really specific, uh, non-general way. And my struggle is in usually going from a very, very general idea that almost anybody could have come up with to something a little bit more thought out where I'm actually kind of um, getting into it myself and I can, I know if it looks false or not. It might, it might be a fantastic outlandish situation, but at least kind of like, well, that's a posture that you would be in if you were springing up, getting ready for an attack. You know, your body's like bunching up. These are the concerns of animators mostly. Um, but like, I don't know. I think there's, there's a lot to be gained for a concept artist, particularly a character concept artist, to study uh, Konstantin Stanislavski and method acting and all those mindsets, to, to know uh, what a character's like super objective is, it, it can only result in
1: a stronger, more personal, more specific design.
3: I recall hearing that um, you were uh generally against i don't want to put words in your mouth it's just generally against using reference uh but is this something that you would ever uh like take a picture of yourself putting in that pose and see like how does this how do i actually look in this pose is this going to be a funny pose am i breaking my arm doing this pose or is it all just irrelevant as long as you can get the uh, emotion that you're looking for yeah i mean like i
2: like to, to quote stanislavski or, or paraphrase him I think even he said something along the lines and be very careful with your use of a mirror which is like you know when you're when you're looking at uh, a scrap photography that you did that your girlfriend took of you holding up a staff for your magic the gathering the gathering illustration or whatever and you're going strictly off of that um, you're just getting the the physical data that you took what you might not be getting is kind of Sense memory of like oh when I was standing with the staff I had all my weight on my left foot or my left leg and I, I could feel a lot of weight coming from this shoulder and it was pulling me down and the staff was kind of heavy, um, so there's a lot that you can get uh, like, like like reference that just comes from your kinesthetic awareness uh, where you should really technically not actually have to resort to taking the actual uh, photo ref. I- I'd like to recant on my deathbed and say that I came around to um, accepting reference in all situations. Um, but I, for the most part, I see reference, at least the way most people use it, as kind of like sheet music. And uh, since I'm such a process-driven, performance-driven artist, I have a lot of admiration for a musician Uh, just sits down with an instrument and can just start to play. So as much as I can, I want my work to be fed by personal experience and study, but I want to, I want to have that all in me. I want to have all the melodies in me so that when the time comes, I can just sing the song. I can just play the instrument. Uh,
3: So it seems like uh, a lot of the advice we get as far as like, hammering on the idea of using reference using maquettes those are more people who want to do like fully rendered scenes where they uh paint out every detail and they have it put under like a magic the gathering card or something um and your uh passion is more of the drawing where you don't have to fill in every little detail uh shade every uh bit that looks exactly the right color the right shade the right value um is it just a matter of what you're going for, of how much reference you advise somebody to use, or is it just a uh, always go with emotion rather than the letter of the law? Always going after, uh, try, trying to riff on your own rather than uh, going off sheet music.
2: Yeah, I mean, this could just be a me thing. I hate to kind of, I, I'm not going to throw it out as like advice to any artists as to how they should work. You know, you, you all have your your uh, your methods and your level of comfort with the material, but. I guess it has to do with how comfortable you are having lots of points of comparison. I know personally, when I have lots of points of comparison, whether that's, you know, a Pinterest board or work that my friends have done, you know, materials that I've gathered or whatever. And I'm, my eye is darting back from the work to the, to the stuff, constantly comparing that doesn't help me. Um, it, It actually makes me feel worse because I'm not hitting all those targets the the task becomes almost impossible to enjoy. And so I, I I guess since this is an art form where the end user only sees the end product, employing whatever method you need to attain the desired result is all fair play. But as an experience, as the dude making it, I feel like... There's an insincerity, like I've just used some kind of steroid, and I, I knew that I wasn't strong. I needed all these extra crutches to bring to the world something that is not really born of me. It is born of this course of other things. Uh, and I just,
1: um, I would rather just study something in isolation or, or get a really good impression of it try to synthesize it and then maybe a day later
2: taking from what i learned try to filter it so that it's at least a little bit more of my hand and less me trying to transcribe
1: the reference if that makes sense
0: it does i feel the need to linger on this a bit longer and try and find some common yeah. ground because yeah we, is- we can talk all the hour i don't care Okay, because this is an area that I find myself contending with a lot with newer artists or less experienced artists Um, you know, that they'll hear that like, and and, and, uh, allow me this mild diatribe without thinking that I'm trying to attribute anything specifically to you, but they'll hear things like they'll hear things like references cheating or um you know you should be able to draw everything from you know out of your own mind and if you use reference um you know you're somehow you're somehow cheating or whatever and um there's a lot of i think misunderstandings about what reference is and how to use it or like what you're doing when you're using reference and i'm just putting reference in scare quotes with my fingers for anybody that can't see um can you would you find some resonance with that you know that like there are there there are places and times for it, even in what you just said, you know where if it is more even a, a matter of doing studies to familiarize yourself with the whatever concept or subject matter it is that you're that you're going to be trying to attempting
1: well
2: there's there's I, I feel like I can tell now when i'm looking at something where it's like okay, this was, you pulled this from that, you pulled that from this, the work has this disjointed patchwork quality. And that's really what I'm trying to avoid. There are people that are able to integrate the reference in such a way uh, that it's seamless. They're, they're getting just the right information. The information is serving, you know, their goals. They did look at a preliminary SANS reference and then the reference comes in later to kind of supplement and fill in the gaps. Um, but uh you can tell generally when people aren't having fun when they're when they're going into subject matter that is outside their whatever um their short list of things that they like, they're unable to imbue it and charge it with the same um level of fun and like zippiness, and I just sort of see
1: the image slow down. It definitely happens with me so. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I'll ever draw like a fire truck in my whole life. I hope I don't have to. If I if I did, I would definitely
2: need the reference. There you go. I I would I would, I would hope I'd never find myself in a position and and I and I will engineer my life around never having to solve fire engine based problems. Uh, there are plenty of people in the world who who love vehicles and drawing a fire engine would be their 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 favorite thing. But I just know that it's it's not inside me to do justice, even if I had it right in front of me, even if I spent a week drawing nothing but fire engines, I couldn't bring myself to love the fire engine. So perhaps the, perhaps that's the challenge. is like how in your synthesis of something that you don't love, can you come to love it? Maybe that's the challenge, you know, as, as we get old and gray, how do we expand our artistic palette? And what is the, what is the through line, to all things that we can, like once we find that we can draw anything with the same level of enjoyment. I haven't found it so far. Like I I know that a lot of things can be, it can be reduced to energy and gesture and you can sort of tap into some kind of omni matter where anything can be anything. (laughs) There's, there's some stuff that is just so specific and, and bound to experiences that you either, don't know or would never want to have, that it would be impossible to do them a scrap of justice.
0: Yeah, so there's a couple of things in there that you said that I think bring us to the common ground. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, You mentioned that there's times where you can tell when people have not been enjoying their process because it's painfully obvious what reference they were using and what they were using it for. And then there's times where there's there, where you're looking at a piece of art where the artist has synthesized that in some kind of uh, meaningful way that gives rise to something that is the greater than the sum of its parts. So that sounds like a function more of the artists themselves than the use of reference. So that to me sounds more like your sticking point isn't so much with reference, but the, the intent of the artist behind its use. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I, like, like um, if I'm mean going to be fully transparent, I, I like subject matter that has a lot of squishiness and malleability in it. You know, there's the reason I like the human face so much is that people come in all these different sizes and shapes and colors uh, as they age, things change around and morph. So there's never like a definitive way. I think that's really what I'm, Trying to skirt is definitive. There's a there's a way a certain you know uh, current fire truck looks versus a fire truck in the 1940s. And if you don't draw it exactly like that, you have fucked it up. So I'm 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 looking for subject matter that's like forgiving. Like like an ocelot is pretty hard to draw. An ocelot is a specific kind of cat with specific markings. Um, far easier to draw something that's like cat-like, that has the qualities of a cat, the slinkiness of a cat, has whiskers, has big eyes, um, uh, is, is a quadruped, has a tail. Uh, more often when I'm looking at reference, I'm trying to isolate the phenomena, and I hope I can remember some of the phenomena versus the exact configuration of things as they are, because my brain can't pull that out of my head ever. Have a, have, a, have a perfectly wretched memory, even for things that I really like. Sometimes,
0: yeah. Um, Liad in the chat anticipated <laughs> one of my next questions, though, to uh, hit you with here. And I know it's yeah, a little—I know it's a little bit unfair to like fire the nuclear weapon of Norman Rockwell, but do you? Think of the, the the picture of him, you know, sitting at his canvas or whatever, and he has all of the pictures, all of the photographs that he taped up around his canvas as he's working and the use of that reference. Um, where, like, Where on the spectrum that you're talking about does that fall into? Do you think that there were times when his work was suffering as a result of that?
1: Well, if we're gonna if we're gonna bring out the big guns, uh, we can regress.
2: Uh, J- we can regress to J.C. Leyendecker, who was basically Rockwell's understudy at a certain point, and um, all of those classic American illustrators did employ the, the the use of models. One of my favorite pinup artists, Gil Elvgren, um, employed the use of models, and there's plenty of books that will show you exactly the positions that these women were in, and what he used and what he didn't use.
1: Where, where I feel that that for the time was, was, was more accepted uh, because it's like you didn't have
2: as many options. You, 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 you had to assemble your own scrap photography. You had to hire the models yourself. You generally blocked out what you were trying to do with your advertisement first ahead of time, and then had the models. You basically art directed that shoot.
1: Um,
2: so at the point that all those photos were taken, Armin Rockwell, J.C. Leyendecker, Gil Elvgren, they knew exactly what they wanted, or more or less. What they, what they were after beyond that point was the authenticity. How does the, how does the suit compress? How does the dress trail? You know, what, how does the hair splash over the shoulder? Uh, the little things that are really hard to make up when you're trying to do realistic... Illustration for advertisement. Um, I don't think at the time people would have accepted stuff that was more slipshod, uh,
1: that
2: had paid less attention. There was we we have liberties now. We we don't need to be quite so literal. Um, and I know plenty of people that use the scrap photography method. Um, people that work for Wizards of the Coasts or other places. Uh, if it works for you, it works for you. If you're able to get something lively out of it, but I would, uh, I would hope that you're putting in the legwork that those guys put in before you resort to taking the photo that you. Okay. Yeah, try to try to get it done as much to your liking as possible.
0: Yeah, I like I like that. That I feel like that's a a good place to put a pin in the reference conversation. That pointing out that it wasn't just a matter of busting out the photos and taping them to the wall that made a Rockwell painting. Like There was a significant amount of preparation that went into that. And you need all of that in order to make that reference, that type of reference work for you in a similar way.
1: That being said... Yeah, for sure. um, You're...
0: It should be apparent by now that your ability to hold forth on all of these things is um, significant <laughs> and, and respectable. You've, have you always had an inclination towards teaching and expressing these thoughts and thinking about them uh, and sharing them with the world? Or is this something that you've sort of come to along the way?
1: Well,
2: with anything that you truly love, when you feel like you've stumbled upon some good shit, you want to share it around. That's the case with religion. That's the case with your political agendas. That's the case with um, the music you listen to. You become a walking billboard. You're trying to get your friends to listen to albums and um, you're, you're, you're handing out flyers for shows. You're holding events. Uh, for time, I was a DJ and, and I never really thought that I was... A, much of a musically inclined person. I was just a guy that liked that music. I wanted to proliferate it in whatever way I could and fall in with other people who were like-minded. So my my agenda, if I have one through teaching, is just to kind of uh, share the good word or and, and also sort of vet the good word because um, n- nothing is quite so telling as when you... You hold an idea up that you have in the light of day and you realize how flat it falls. You realize that there's maybe not as much to it, but only through communicating it to other people and having them kind of either embrace it or like, nah, man, I think you got to go back and rethink that theology you have. Um, it's, it's part of an artist's purification process. So I would urge anybody at any level to... I guess, get out there and test out what they think that they know. You know, I look back at some of that early stuff that I put together when I was in my early twenties and I shake my head because it's, I'll have the, the same reaction to my own shit that I'll have now to like YouTubers who are, you know, barely out of college talking about all the stuff that they think that they know, you know, like I wasn't as far through Dunning Kruger, but really it didn't, matter. it's it's part of the fossil record of where I was at that time. And do you add to that knowledge over time? Of course. Um, so th- there's a certain danger, I guess, in spreading disinformation.
1: And um, if you're enthusiastic about something, it's the enthusiasm that I would hope that is the
2: infectious thing and not necessarily what's being taught.
3: Your, uh, your website, Autodestruct, that was uh, a place where most people these days are, be- are sent to learn the fundamentals of design, um, whether it was at your intent or not. Uh, was Autodestruct originally uh, just a place for you to post your stuff, or was that where you wanted to start uh, sharing your thoughts on the, uh, the fundamentals?
2: Yeah, but before Blogger um, and all that, people would just email you and ask you questions. And I think, you know, enough students or industry hopefuls ask you a certain question and you're like, okay, I can save myself a lot of time by writing this down in a big list somewhere. And then when somebody comes to me, I can just point them conveniently toward a link. So I think that's kind of where that grew out of. Um, it wasn't that I was, was annoyed, but then it was, it was more like, okay, well uh, it, it started a a habit, I guess of journaling because prior to that, I don't think I had, I hadn't taken my art development that seriously. It was just kind of coming along as it was, and I, you know, I hadn't developed what could be called a, a, a critical or analytical mind. That website is kind of a time capsule, as so many other things are. You know, like if I was to launch a website now, it would be like a like a nice fancy Squarespace one. So, looking back at some of that stuff is can be kind of cringe. Some of the blog stuff, um, Babe Lab, you know, particularly now and in, in today's social climate is kind of cringy.
0: Should I not but link so- Babbleb in the show notes then? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you look again. It's, it's like you know, not all of it I can uphold, but it's like it's there. I I did it. I that was what I was feeling at the time, and so in that moment of time, it was real to me. Just like certain album was like real to me and I was really like feeling it um and in a way it's precious because uh enthusiasm can occasionally elude you particularly you know the 2020-2021 the period that we're in I think we've all seen kind of like a little bit of enthusiasm wax and wane so it's nice to be reminded of like oh at this time I was really charged up about this and so much so that I felt compelled to Put it in paragraph form you know annotated with little graphics uh, i must have really thought i was on to something and uh, I, I i tried to continue doing that uh, if only to be later proven wrong
3: but still it's an awesome archive uh, even if we're only referring to the uh darksiders 2 and the halo 4 stuff that's just fun flip through even as a, a novice like myself um, but there's also the resources that you did of the design lectures, which are you know something that I link to free uh, frequently to when someone's looking for uh, for art advice.
2: Oh thank you man every every little bit helps it. It gives me a reason to keep all those sites around and uh, keep paying for hosting fees. I think blogger was saying that there's going to be something happening where they're going to start scraping old blogs, and if you want to archive your blog, you've got to do this and that, and that hasn't happened yet but one of these days, I expect to go there and have it all be completely washed away. Uh, you brought up the Halo 4 stuff. All of my Halo 5 stuff wound up on Tumblr. And that was another platform that I fully expected to just go away. Because for a while, they were cracking down on, like, not safe for work stuff. And I had my professional work mixed in with all of my kind of dirty drawings that I would do. And I thought for sure, that's going to go away. So I treat all of these things as temporary and I just move to the to the next platform much like a uh you know a snail moves into another shell or is it crabs is it crabs that move into bigger shells
0: hermit crabs um, Yeah so do you have any in- inclination at any point do you think that you'll go back into any of that old material and revive it repolish it uh repackage it or is it just that's in the bin of internet history and we'll stay where it is?
2: I've had opportunities to kind of pick up where some of that stuff left off and uh, try to put things into a book. In fact, I made a, a pretty honest push for such a, a project recently and even had the interest of a publisher. But uh, as I was going through it, um, I think I just realized that I'm I'm way better one-on-one with people than I am trying to create some kind of omnibus volume that applies to all situations. You know, people are so different, their needs are so different one on one, that I would I'm lazy. Uh I um I, I I like to to not labor over things and so it may be it maybe take me fifteen minutes to give somebody a little scritchy pain over or draw over. But to then try to take that and convert it into a lesson that could be easily shared or applied to somebody else, that's their particular uh, problem. And I derive, I think, greater enjoyment working through these things with people in the moment than I do creating these kind of blanket documents that may or may not be useful to people. It could still happen, uh, but. I would say that my educational content, if you can call it that, um, is ongoing and it, it, it happens uh, in, in kind of a living document, uh, a Discord server, uh, privately moderated by myself and individuals vetted by me and the people within the community. And that gives me enough of an opportunity to, um, to kind of keep flexing and keep Uh, experimenting with
3: educational materials. So um, uh, I mentioned this to you in the pre-show, but um, I thought that you had vanished from social media entirely uh, since uh, leaving auto-destruct and Tumblr. Um, But it turns out, as you mentioned earlier, that uh, as we talked earlier, you're on Facebook. Um, Is that a place where someone should look to find you to, to continue like learning from you that uh, auto destruct is on uh, archive status or is Facebook more of a private thing?
2: Oh, well, I mean, I, my, my Facebook is private, but people come knocking and, you know, I'll, I'll, let folks in if, especially if they want to talk about art, if they've seen materials or if, if they're, if they fancy themselves like-minded, I'm always looking to try to uh, make, make friends and uh, have, have my uh, views, added to and, and edited. So I, I certainly wouldn't discourage anybody from trying to hit me up on Facebook or dropping me a message on art station. But, uh, but yeah, I've, I've moved into other pastures. Like when, when it looked like, uh, when it looked like Tumblr was on its way out, started a Patreon and I ran that for two years and found it unsustainable for a few reasons. Um, and then wound up just putting all that content on Tumblr for free. Uh, and then when it seemed like Tumblr was going to start doing more censorship stuff, I switched to Twitter, where I operate under the alias Paula Rockhard, which is a play on my name. That's where I started partitioning all the adult stuff. I don't really talk about it much because there's not a lot of interest in the other circles I run in. But that was the platform that allowed me to connect with other artists that do that kind of stuff and launch um, an invite-only Discord called Lude School which is sitting at about 300 members. And we've been running it since 2018. And it's just been kind of a nice way to kind of openly discuss that kind of work with people that are doing it. Mostly people that are kind of like living off of commissions. Some of them are going the, the Patreon route. Some of them are making indie games. You know, they come from all over the world. And, you know, ap- apart from some risque subject matter, uh, they're really like, salt of the earth people and they really care about the craft a lot and have a lot um, a lot to give. And so I've really been enjoying that fellowship. Um, We meet on Saturdays and it's just been, um, it's kind of like this where it's kind of a long form discussion, mostly chatting with people about their work.
3: That's interesting. Uh, I thought you were going to say when you had a private discord that it was going to be like the high end of uh, talking about really obscure design concepts that nobody else had really talked about publicly, or it was you know, really niche to this uh, subgenre of hard, uh, hard surface design or whatever.
2: <laughs> you know, it comes up, there's a lot of bleed over, you know, it, and the, the people that traffic in the uh, NSFW waters, there's, there's more than you'd think. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really in good company. There's a lot of other people that are from other entertainment fields that are there. Uh, and they they really take what they do really seriously. So those kinds of like good design is good design, no matter what you're doing. So all that stuff about composition and even stuff like hard surface, like, Oh, you know, the, the shoulder pad would work well if you kind of, you know, uh, added this kind of a bevel, that stuff comes up there. People will do sci-fi stuff and we'll have discussions about how they could make their, you know, sci-fi porn drawing look better, but it's all, it's all the same stuff. Um, and I feel like i'm in I'm in pretty good company when I start to look at some of the artists in the field that that dabble into this, but yeah, i uh, like I don't put it in people's face as much as I used to. Um, but uh,
1: yeah, it, I think it,
2: it's a crucible for for figuring out a lot of stuff about the figure, um, about all those things I mentioned earlier with like plausibility and acting. all those things enter into the equation,
0: yeah, I was lucky enough to catch a look at an interview that you were doing with with somebody uh on this server and um the imagery that you guys are discussing you know as you're having this this chat uh is very risque but beautiful and there's like this sort of like interesting cognitive place that you get into where you're listening to people discuss imagery that you feel like you should be like looking over your shoulder like is my mom, is my wife coming? But you guys are talking about it in this like very, uh, I don't want to say dry, but, uh, just very like intellectual and, uh, professional, you know, like analyzing the finer points of the composition and the design choices that were make, you know, and it's, it's, I think, I think it's healthy is what I'm ultimately driving at is like, I, I found it to be a very healthy experience have people having that conversation about imagery like that because you realize these things deserve that respect too, you know, and confronting that sort of like childish inclination to titter you know when there's a boob or a penis involved um it's important to do that and realize hey this is this is viable um i I would like to derail for a moment um because pro. Uh, had a good question. It takes us a little bit back to the um, concept or the conversation about concept art. Um, he says, "You have a specific style, and some of the game models aren't exactly following your style necessarily." So question one, he has two questions. I'll just ask the first one, and then we'll do the second one. Um, question one: How does that work in getting hired for projects? Has having a distinct style ever posed a problem in getting hired?
1: I guess I, I, I'll, I'll never know for sure what about my
2: work attracts people and what repels other people. Um, I, I, I would like to think kind of earlier uh, sentiment that I said that some of my greatest assets are also some of my, my worst detriments. So um, there's a certain amount of risk that you incur by trying to be true to your own style or whatever. Um, when it comes to trying to look match and slot in with a company aesthetic, uh, it's, it's, it's troublesome. Uh, I won't lie, um, but I got to be me, you know? Uh, sorry, what was the first part of that question again?
0: Uh, He said you have a specific style and some of the game models aren't exactly following your style necessarily.
2: And and again, that's fine. Like let it become what it is. I I would rather the the, the work that results from my work be a spiritual successor rather than a literal successor. Uh, You know, for reasons of technicality, things can't bend a certain way i have to kind of put my trust into the people that inherit these assets and hope that they would bring something of their own to it uh, so i i would like to think that what my work provides is a certain degree of wiggle room for other creatives um, at, at worst it's me not furnishing sufficient information and it becomes problematic for you know maybe an outsourcer or somebody who's like maybe more of a technical artist and less somebody who's trying to kind of get their two cents in. But, uh, yeah, to, to embrace the collaborative spirit of the work. Um, don't, don't, don't be picky and let the thing live its own life is my kind of philosophy there.
3: I'm going to throw in a little quick tangent before we go to question part, part two. Um, do you think that any of this has to do with like, uh, you uh, you're being established as a concept artist that allows you to get away with this? Uh, more so than like a rookie who's applying for their first job.
1: Yeah, I really, I can't tug on that thread too much. Uh, I mean, like,
2: there's, there's jobs that I'm just not going to get probably because of um, the way my stuff looks, uh, the, 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 the degree to which it isn't presentable. I think there's an enormous risk in,
1: not offering up your absolute best face to the world at all times. But I can think of
2: many a designer. Um, I don't want to compare myself to
1: some of these people, but I always feel like um, that, that uh, the, the early drawing establishes the large moves, And as you resolution up,
2: as you increase the resolution, it only becomes slightly more than what it already is. So it becomes this argument of like, when does a thing become what it is? Does it become what it is early on? Or does it come become what it is at the 11th hour? My argument would be that what I provide, regardless of what someone's um, preferred end dev aesthetic is, is the most important part. Are the the big broad moves that matter most, and that that is what a person is, I guess, paying for. It's it's the idea, uh, of course, reigns. So, uh, and then beyond that, it's like you know the visual stamp of it, two dimensionally and three dimensionally. That that contribution is always underneath everything that comes after, regardless of how much rendering you spackle onto it, or how, how detailed the, the crenellations of the, of the thing are. That would be my scapegoat answer to that question.
0: <laughs> the follow-up to Pro's first question was, where does the translation take place from your concept to the final model, and how much influence do you have on the final model? How much communication takes place between you, the art director, and the modelers?
1: When there is that
2: communication between concept and the modeling department, when when the work is seen as a organic back and forth and the work is taken less as a gospel template from which to to never deviate, the more I feel that that's healthy um, because everybody in the equation sees each other as teammates in an ongoing process at least those are the most fulfilling interactions that I have. There's nothing more dissatisfying than firing a thing off into a void and never hearing back about it until it's done. Um, I mean, that that happens too. But sometimes the other thing happens where it's like, oh, hey, I protoed this thing. And, uh, you know, I was thinking that uh, I I played with the, the eye aperture a little bit to make him look wider. It's like, oh, yeah, cool. But I had a note here, down here on this claw. I think it would look better if it was kind of angled up more like this. And that might not have been on my initial drawing, but like when you see it in the model, the 3D form, you get ideas. And so for, for there to be ongoing collaboration and for the thing, because it just puts too much pressure on me as a designer if like someone has to hold to it, if it's rigid. Um, the, again, the wiggle room, um, the, the, the lack of formality makes the process fun. And if the process is fun, the work is fun and the work looks better. So I, I'm all for any process that involves the most amount of like hands-on collaboration
1: um, that, that an organization will allow. I'm always very, very happy when that happens.
0: Coming back to teaching, um, or your philosophy of sharing information, <laughs> to make it sound real fancy, um, you've spoken. A lot about being um, info heavy and demo light. In in that, you feel like that that sort of ties back to our conversation a little bit about uh, um, reference, where you sort of like want to avoid becoming this like living reference for people that are asking you for information, and and so you want to give them tools to think about it rather than tools to actually physically do it
2: right and the the, the more the better right so info blast somebody with a few different things that they can work on and depending upon what chapter of their life they're in they can cherry pick what's relevant what they want to then try out by 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 completing the work yourself and ushering somebody through a large demonstration it's good for you because you're having that experience of like, okay, this is what the person would actually confront going through this particular problem. And as you're doing that, you can call out like, okay, here, you got to watch out because it looks like, you know, you have this archer and they're, you know, they're drawing their arm back like this, but like, you know, uh, you've you've done this weird kind of overhand thing and you can sort of maybe troubleshoot things on a more granular level, but it's, um, it's never going to be the same as the same as them taking that journey themselves. So uh, sometimes it's almost even better to ask them the mic and ask what they think can be changed before you even start making uh, suggestions as to what to change.
0: You find that that ever backfires? Well, let me rescind that. Do you ever get pushback from students who are like, hey, man, you're not doing enough demo <laughs> in so many <laughs> words or whatever like nice oh. version of that?
2: Yeah, not, not only that, but sometimes I'll... When I do demo, I'll find myself in a position where I think I have the answer, and then I find myself struggling with some of the same things. And so I think that I have the fix for the problem, but through trying to demonstrate it, I I find out that I'm you know full of hot air, and I need to try a completely different a different approach. So you know, I've often found myself pulling you know, work out of the Discord and petting on it a little bit only to find five minutes later that uh, this is kind of a lateral move or I don't know that there's any value in this person hearing this or that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to sit with the person for as long as possible to, you know, to, to troubleshoot. But often I feel like the things that are hurting the work often wind up being logic-driven stuff that doesn't even necessitate a drawing. It's more like asking a person, you know, what are the odds of what you've done here unfolding? You know, you've done some really weird kind of fucky things here and there that if you were in the same position, you probably wouldn't, you know, your, your arm wouldn't be this far out or, or like, it, it seems like this would cause, like, neck strain or whatever. And so you're trying to get the person to kind of puzzle through it um, as anyone going through the motions of whatever they're drawing would be. And again, do you have to demonstrate that? Do you need to get up from your chair? Maybe you know. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know if I could be called miserly with my feedback or or too aggressive with my feedback. Sometimes I feel like I I run my mouth way too much with these people and try to exert you know my my opinions too much. And I can hear myself like a skipping record. Talking about the same things over and over again, and to me, that's like okay. Well, I'm learning something about me here. I seem to rely on these like five or six things, uh, which became important to me at some point. You know how how valid are those things still, and should I keep sticking by those guns, or should I
1: maybe open myself up to new ways of thinking?
0: Well, do you think though that there's the student themselves might play a role in that too though right like where i mean you might see the same five problems recurring or maybe i shouldn't say problems you know like some of the same sticking points will continually present themselves as you deal with people that are less experienced than you are so you sort of have you know these set methods of addressing that right
2: yeah. There's like a loose repertoire. Um, I, I would hope for some degree of pushback. Cause again, if you believe in what you're doing and you have reasons for why you did it, um, you can, you can then say like, well, that's, that's a good note. Uh, but you know, I, I really feel strongly that this character would do it this way or, uh, you, you would hope that people wouldn't just sort of blindly accept anything that you said. So I am looking for that. I'm looking to be challenged. Um, and, and not obeyed because it's like who knows where the next epiphany comes from. It can come from somebody that, you know, is half your age. Uh, so by, by, by putting yourself in amongst people who are, you know, quote unquote, less experienced, you may, you may have your mind blown. Uh, yeah. Except- but some people can be stubborn. I can be stubborn. You know, you find out where stubbornness is and why
1: stubbornness is.
0: Well, it can also be a big ask for, you know, to somebody that is learning from you to set aside the maybe bit of starstruck status they might be having, you know, like, oh, this is the guy that, who might argue with the guy that's doing character design for Fortnite and Darksiders and Halo, <laughs> you know, like, how do you tame that beast? Which is to say, though, that I I, I think it kind of underscores The importance of your hesitancy to go too heavy on demo and not to speak for you, but it seems like that aspect of just giving critical thinking skills is going to do much more for them in the long run rather than like, well, here's my technique that you can then go and then, then you risk making Paul Richards clones and you seem to want to avoid doing that.
1: Yeah, in fact,
2: moving moving into Twitter and kind of playing with my identity a little bit allowed me to kind of wipe the slate. And a lot of the people when they came to me fresh, they weren't coming to me because of any of those past achievements or whatever. They just liked the cut of my jib, and they just thought that I drew okay. So, um, you know, I, I don't I don't make that completely secret. Um, everybody in the Discord that I run, the Luth School Discord, you know, knows me by name. Uh, But not all of them really care what my background is. Some of them have completely different priority stats. Uh, They they know that I come from a different time, a different background, Um, a different set of values. But um, I I think the the goal is never to convert these people, but just be like, all right, you did this. Uh, There were other options here. And here's a few of them. Uh, Just to kind of like have consciousness expand just a little bit or because I I would want that of myself. If I was running into a corner, I would want someone like me to to come forth and say, you're having a little trouble here. You know, if you, you're hitting your head against the wall, if you were to move foot to the left, your head would miss the wall and you would just keep going. Um, So I'm trying to kind of enact the kind of act of kindness that I would want visited upon me and lo and behold, it has been visited upon me um, um, a thousandfold through people uh, within that Discord. And if any of them are watching now, I would just say thank you for you know, what you bring. Um, the, the motivations behind doing it can seem selfish, like you're just doing this to flex, but honestly, it's, the whole exercise has been very humbling. And I think that you can hear it occasionally in my voice as I talk to some of you. <laughs> Um, the, that uh, I I I've, I've, I come to a, a newer and better understanding of the world through you, and there would have just been no other
1: entry point for me. So that's that's the real value of teaching, I think, is um, what, what what you're given back.
0: Yeah, I uh, I I think that it it speaks to a great teacher, you know, that like I you can receive the information. And or not be distracted by all of those things that I mentioned before. There's, there, there is there is a, a lot of humility that, that comes with that. Um, and so well, thank you for that. Thanks for not being an asshole. Uh, <laughs> now, you know,
1: I, don't, I don't know what
2: impression you, you, you got of me during that that, that 10-week course or whatever. I, I felt like we started off kind of rocky or whatever. We didn't know each other. Again, it's like time. Uh,
0: people warm up to one another. Oh yeah. That's interesting. I wouldn't have recalled it being Rocky. And if it was, I would take responsibility for that because I know myself, I come (laughs) off very kind of like dry and cold and standoffish at first meetings. And I am, (laughs) but, but it it warms up a a, a little bit as we go. So, um, yeah, it's, I just sort of one thing about myself that I've kind of like learned to accept. Um, but
2: I've, I've come to expect that from Pacific Northwesterners. So, yeah.
0: well, I'm from California, though. So hey, it's, it's, it's oh, are I, you okay? Yeah, and I've always been like this. So, it's not. Yeah, maybe it's okay. just that I was drawn to the Northwest because I was like, "Oh, this is my true home." I see. <laughs> um, the, the I thought um, you were a native. Yeah. Well, it goes to show um, this idea of philosophy and. In being info heavy, is great for when you have an idea, I guess. But one of the struggles that I know a lot of artists have, probably the most common struggle, is what am I going to draw? Where, what? Getting ideas in the first place. You seem to not suffer from this at all. Like anytime I see, I do see you do a demo or. A talk about philosophy that requires you to sort of iterate ideas on the spot there's no shortage and it's sort of mind-blowing to watch you just rattle off a dozen ideas that any one of which i would have personally paid a hundred dollars to have in front of me when i want, needed a good idea of something to draw i'm not trying to blow Smoke up your ass. I'm trying to get to the point that is this something that we can learn? And if so, how, how what, what fills your tank? How do we get this unending plethora of good ideas to come out of us?
2: <sighs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm flattered that you think that such is the case and I will, I will, I will take your kind compliment, but I sometimes do feel that my, um, if i have a talent it's for providing 36 ideas none of which are the right idea <laughs> so uh, uh you know pay attention to what your spec says and try to try to please your client and deliver on all those notes but uh, uh when when you're when you're just spitballing you know I, I think i think i even i brought this up at the very very end of that that class but it was i was explaining kind of like, okay, well, how, here's how I really do it. I've, I've, I've walked you through all the, 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 the kind of more cerebral thinking, but um, I think the, the last exercise was, in, uh, it was like a Rorschach exercise where you kind of tried to see something uh, in, in a pattern. And I would say that if I have um, an, an ace up my sleeve, it's that pareidolia kind of cloud seeing mind where if i'm If I'm given a certain amount of artistic grist um i I am able to then kind of like relax my eyes and start to see stuff happen uh these these are these are my chaos engines there's all kinds of ways that you can sort of coax um your subconscious out of its little hidey hole and and have it come to work for you um these are, these are areas where demonstrations would probably be of benefit because as, as I described them to you here, it's not going to be of much value. But I think we've all had that kind of, um, you know, you're, you're staring down at marble tile in the bathroom and you start to see like a little gremlin or something emerge from it. There's a lot of that kind of juju at work in what I'm doing. And as I'm adding designs to the page, it becomes more a matter of, like, well, what haven't I done so far? Um, this is an area where points of comparison are helpful, and your work serves as its own reference point of, like, I've, I've gone wide, now I'll go narrow. You know, I've gone, um, I've gone macro here, I should go
1: micro there. And, and then it becomes a game of not trying to repeat yourself. So the, the infinite in the abstract
2: is sometimes how I'll refer to it, and and I can usually tell when an artist has broken into that, where almost anything can be anything, that you can reappropriate other objects, swirly abstract patterns, stuff you find in the street, um, and kind
1: of imagine new things into them, uh, extrapolate new things out of them.
0: There was... So, go ahead sorry
1: oh no that was the end of the thought
2: it was just kind of a rambling thought
0: um, you said that there are things that can be done to encourage the subconscious to come out of its little hidey hole and play and dance around the room and whatnot. what what would be some examples of those kinds of things
1: uh, it's not
2: going to show up on camera but I can, I can describe some just random marks that I'm not looking at Uh, which I'll I'll hold them up to the camera so it won't come through on the audio podcast. But what I'll, what I'll do amid the chaos here, I'll place something very tangible, like uh, a human ear. Uh, I've drawn this little human ear inside this mist. And Mm -hmm. now something that previously was just a line on the page is given some kind of context. And I might see that line now as part of hair sweeping back. Um, you know, this is a wretched process to use when you're trying to go after something really specific and definitive, but if you're just trying to kind of, like, relax your imagination and uh, go, you know, follow the lead of your own pencil, then um, the, the, the limit to what you can come up with is only dictated by the sort of wild movements that you can make across the page. I find it very comforting that um, the act of drawing is kind of, it's bound to, to, to human movement, and so, you know, you know, human movement across the page, movement within uh, going into the page and coming out of the page. Uh, it, it, as long as I can keep playing with those coordinates and, and moving in ways that are unpredictable, uh, I, theoretically, I should never reach the end of, uh, of, of, of that, uh, that transaction between me and the subconscious. That should be ongoing. I, don't, I shouldn't have to work for it too terribly because, you know, your, your dreams are proof of all the things that you ingest, uh, all the things that impress
1: upon, you know, yourself. And so they're all kind of up there to be able to kind of like conjure them at times of great need. Uh, to me, it's, it's fascinating. And it makes drawing the form of entertainment that it is. Do you,
2: so unless I get tired of that game, um, you know, I should always be able to explore
1: uh, something anew.
0: Do you think that this is a muscle that can be strengthened? You know, where the more you sort of play these little mind games with yourself, the easier and more likely you are to fall into that place where the ideas are coming at you. In other words, for the first six months, maybe you're just drawing. Ears inside of scribbles, so to speak, but then a year, two years into it, you find yourself in that mental space a lot faster, with a lot less ears and scribbles.
2: I guess it can function as a kind of training wheels. Personally, I, you know, um, I don't, I don't see the harm, and it's, it's no different than somebody laying down a perspective grid. It's a, it's an armature upon which to build. Uh, I would I would hope that um, like like any tool, it's not something that you rely on exclusively. That you, you want to add will and purpose to things. You want to be able to um, not just surrender completely to, to to chance. But I think if you look if, if you listen to a lot of like a lot of great artists talk about their process, I'll bring up uh, Francis Bacon, the the this, like, abstract surrealist painter dude, uh, a, a lot of them will tell you that it's like they're, they're channeling something other. Um, the, the cartoonist Jim Woodring is another instance I like to bring up. Jim Woodring, who is a, a guy that lives around where we do uh, you know, he's, he's working not alone. He's working with some kind
1: of other and whether that's, you know, you know who knows what that is, but uh, it's, it's a less lonely way to work, I guess. Yeah, I, and, I had, go ahead. Oh, no, it, 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 to me, it just seems more kind of like um, it. It seems like a very sincere way to work. I don't. I can't say that it's a muscle that anyone can build at any point, because um,
2: you know you, you may be used to a modality that relies on a lot of external stimuli at all points during your process. Maybe it comes from having a childhood where you're just kind of. With yourself a lot and you you know you, you don't maybe have all the the resources in front of you and you are actually having to kind of make it up. So per- perhaps if you wanted to cultivate that muscle, what you would have to do is unplug yourself from all those points of stimuli and try to see just how convincing an illusion you can create.
3: There was also a uh, good video on this uh, or a talk by Jean Cleese, uh, his uh, uh, create what was it um creativity and management or something like that uh but yeah the open mode the
2: closed mode
3: yeah exactly that uh where you can uh get yourself into the right mindset to be creative if you uh, do things like allow humor if you give yourself more time after you get the first idea and don't just run with the first idea that sort of thing
1: do you yeah he hated solemnity right What's his word? Like he he didn't understand what it was for.
0: Do you have a sense of a definition for a bad idea? Do you think that there's such a thing? Is it just like purely contextual? Or do you ever or do you do you have some guiding principles for ways that we can discern things that are going to be uh, not great expenditures of time? (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, I mean, in, in,
2: if if you back up in the in the cosmic sense, none of this means anything. So, I, I just I don't know if that is like the uh, giving everything a a, a purpose, uh, and if it doesn't deliver on that purpose, I guess that would be the um, that would be the way that you would evaluate whether an idea was good or not. But I again, like I was saying earlier in the discussion, I like to kind of lift drawing out of the pipeline of all these other things for which it is a plan for. And have it be a thing that you do f- for for its own pleasure, and that if it gives you pleasure, if it scratches some little itch inside you, kind of like that drawing that you held up, um, uh, that Pinky did earlier, uh, and it was worth it. Uh, I have I have a criteria for what makes a drawing that I'm not satisfied with. Uh, and I can I can evaluate it kind of a scientific method but um i I guess you are the final arbiter of what what chimes and what doesn't something will either um seem special to you and worth further exploration or it it, it won't um
0: yeah i guess what i had in mind We talk about that sometimes yeah i guess what i had in mind when i asked that question and maybe A better way to ask that question is, do you you think that self-censorship plays a big role in this idea of getting ideas that if someone were to sit mindfully as they're trying to think of something, they might find that they're actually getting a lot of ideas, but they're almost as quickly like dismissing them? No, that's not good. No, that's not good.
1: Some people do their thinking uh on in their minds
2: they do all their planning up there, and some people you know do it on the page so by by doing your planning on the page, I think you you skirt a lot of that kind of preliminary editing where you're kind of vetting ideas to yourself and going like, eh, I don't know if that would work, I don't know if this would work and you're just kind of embracing the kind of like the trying aspect of look like, let's let's see what happens if I do this. I don't really have too good of a plan but uh this doesn't work so hot, but if 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 I use this drawing to leapfrog to this, which it looks like what I'm trying to do is x okay, the next drawing can then satisfy that a little bit more uh, i I wish I was the kind of person that had a fully formed idea of things before they started, but you know i'm I'm troubleshooting my way through uh, and i and I just kind of will trust that as I go. I'm leaving little breadcrumbs for myself to follow, and that every iteration will um, help jostle loose some new piece of information that I need. So yeah, it's 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 a trust fall.
0: A trust fall with yourself.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I I mean, like, what, what what really have you to lose? Particularly if you're just you know working with disposable materials like this
0: yeah no one has to look at it no one has to see right.
2: it yeah, and and if you're if you're predominantly digital you have even less reason to worry about that because you know these files can be discarded on a whim nobody ever has to see it that can be a pressure too because you're feeling that every time you sit down to perform you're you're trying to leave this record of what you did because it's gonna you can plug that into social networking algorithm and build your following or whatever so um uh, if you remove that, if things are happening kind of
1: at your discretion, that can take some of the pressure off too, the pressure to kind of perform and impress.
3: Do you ever have that uh, feeling like e- even now, like uh, with your uh, Twitter account that we just found out existed, uh, do you ever feel pressure to uh, draw something that will get more likes? Or even if it's not like something that's you know all the way through the process, if it's just like, something at the start, like this will, this is what some likes, you know, Naruto is great right now. Right. Let's uh, talk about, let's put some, uh, boobs of Naruto on there. Not that he has boobs. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he does now.
3: Yeah. I don't, I don't want
2: to, yeah. I don't want to slight any of the, the rule 34 people. Uh, I, I know some personally, it's, it's not my bag, but I, I would say that I'm, I'm playing Twitter pretty stupid. I don't, um, my, my updates are erratic. Uh, they used to be more regular. Um, I'm, I'm not doing a lot of thematic work. Uh, it's it's just become kind of a catch-all for whatever I do that might skew a little uh, more pornographic and less fit for, for, for people on ArtStation. But now I feel like I use it mainly to kind of spread awareness about the, the lewd school discord, and it's kind of become more of a way to kind of get the word out so uh, Twitter serves that purpose for me now, uh, and it's less about like, "Hey, you look at me, you look at all the weird stuff that I'm doing."
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's more about showcasing um, showcasing the, the the talent that I'm involved with, and fishing for more, I guess, because it's like, um, I don't know what a lot of you guys' end game is with social media, but what what um you can always get more eyes on your work, which arguably might have some butterfly effect on what kind of clients that you might be able to work for down the road. But I really think that you don't don't need that many eyes. You just need the right eyes. So I feel like the right eyes are on my shit. And I feel like I'm connected to some kindred spirits, uh, on that social media platform that give way more back to me than any job could, um, so, so that to me is what I'm after there. There, there are ways that I could probably uh, pander more, um, try to up the level of presentation to be taken more seriously to get more members interested in me. But I would rather the, the, um, the Discord rise and fall based off of who I am as an artist and who all of my collaborators
3: are so I had healthy. Uh... Gotcha. Sorry for, for interrupting. Um, So my friend uh, Steve Sketches is a friend of mine, and I helped him grow his Instagram account to you know seventy some thousand followers, and I was you know helping with the posting and some of the writing and some of that stuff. And even though it wasn't any of my work, it wasn't my account, I still felt personally uh, affected by how many likes and comments a, a post got. So I admire your ability to uh, divorce yourself entirely from the effects of uh, social media, even when it's your content that you're putting out there.
2: You have to, um, you have to know you're in the game or if you're out of the game, uh, the phrase is, if you don't like the rules, uh, change the game. I don't know that that necessarily works. I think at this point, like the, uh, what I, I heard a friend call the science of success is, kind of more mapped out. So you'll see a lot of people kind of presenting themselves in similar ways and getting their works out through similar channels. Uh, their, their their delivery cadence is similar because they're all chasing after um, um, kind of a, you know, what,
1: what needs to be done to get the eyeballs on the stuff. But... Uh, whatever whatever i start to do i feel
2: like i have to keep up so i felt like if i started to get on that train it would be i have to ask myself if that's something that i would be able to continue doing for the foreseeable future and often i just like ah eh, that's that's really not me if you guys want to do this you want to make this kind of content that serves this fan base you know that's fine i hope it like a lot of these people they have way more followers than i do um and, and it could be that they're getting it through genuine love of that subject
1: matter. And it's not, you know, a cheap ploy It comes from, you know, the heart. Um, I can only do what I'm capable of
2: and what I feel like I can put forth sincerely. And so far that's resulted in kind of the right eyes being on my work and I'll I'll continue to go by that until something really awful happens and you'll have to, you'll, you'll really know that something terrible in my life has happened if you see me really upping my social media game and putting <laughs> way more content out there. It must be a, a sign of like how, how comfortably I'm able to live. As well, soon as you
3: start saying, uh, please like and comment and subscribe, <sighs> then will know. Yeah.
2: All, all my favorite YouTube people, I mean, surely there are people out there that, that have that format and they, they have their, um, they have to do their ad reads. Some people do that in a really cool, tasteful way, and it's integrated into the content but the, the, the people that I really like are the people that have somehow sidestepped that and they they could do that, but they don't and they're happy with their followership or their, 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 their following kind of growing organically because of the content. Um,
0: Feel the need to fully just, disclose that I do that. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, well, it, it's, 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 um, like, I, mean, I, I get why, I get why that exists and I get, Like you gotta, you gotta make. Hey, this is how it works. These like all these videos on YouTube—they're not out there for you know for for funsies. People have to uh, you know generate ad revenue. Um, So basically, uh, by
3: yeah,
2: I mean, but I I I think it's kind of I think it's kind of punk rock when people can find ways to not do
3: that. I think it'll be even more punk rock if we tell people not to subscribe and not to comment.
2: Well like I say I say all this and it's just like, you know, I'm 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 the biggest fucking sellout, you know, it's like I uh you know, I, I earn my living through um, you know, multi billion dollar industry and so it's it's easy I guess for me to say that you don't need to do all those things. If I was in the boat of some of the people in my Discord and I was making a living strictly off of what I produce,
1: um, without uh, suckling the teat of a of a of a big <laughs> Monolith. Who knows
2: what I would resort to? Who knows what I would, you know, I would justify. So yeah, it's it's not fully for me to judge.
1: That's
2: fair. Yeah,
0: that's my that's my justification for it. Is it's like the, the, this, you know, is one of many avenues that needs to get the job done, so to speak. So it's a little bit of playing the game, and I, I prefer to think of it not as selling out, but buying in, (laughs) Pauls. Let's let's, let's rephrase our terminology. But this idea of social media is good and I love it when it comes up. It it comes up a lot and um, and I I love having the conversation on this podcast because it's always a reminder to me to keep kind of reframing the ways that I think about social media, not as a End in themselves, but an ends to other things. Because all of the work that you're going to put into social media can become a treadmill. Uh, yeah, a treadmill. You know, or a hamster cage where it's just you're just doing you're doing the work to do the work. And what is the end product that actually comes from af- doing all of that work? you could be surprised and disappointed to realize that. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I've seen people pull their channels
2: after, after making a real earnest go of it and pumping a lot of money into equipment.
1: And they, they, really, they were really pinning all their hopes on it. I, I, um, I, I feel for anybody, and you know,
2: I, I know just as well as anybody else, what it's like to kind of put something out there that you think is pretty special and then have it not track—that's a very relatable feeling. We've all had the like. I wasn't—I wasn't even thinking about it, and this thing really took off. I and mean, this other thing that I cared a lot about and put a lot of hours into, no one gave a shit about. So that's just—that's uh, just how
1: it's going to be. And you have to kind of keep ro- rolling the dice and putting the work somewhere and hope—hope hope that somebody vibes with it.
3: That actually uh, relates to uh, another example with Steve on his Instagram account. Um, a long time ago, he did a competition for Battle Chasers, and uh, he had used your uh, your Dark stuff as inspirational, like reference. Like he wanted, to, you know, have it look like it could fit in that world. So he designed a couple characters for it, and then we posted them. Like how many years later? Like six years later, onto his Instagram account, and those were the things that blew up. So then he was like should I try to draw more like Paul Richards? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's, that's the quandary, right? Cause you're, uh, when, when people come to you, you want to, you want to know on some level that they're, that they're here for you and not for, um, for, for the IPs that you're lauding. You, one, one would hope that it's like, oh, well, I've seen Hellboy, but I've never seen Hellboy quite like this guy does them. Um, and, and that, that there's a certain degree of that. There's plenty of artists that I follow that, um, do a lot of send-ups to, like Otto Schmidt's one of them. I love Otto Schmidt, and Otto Schmidt does a lot of DC stuff, and I like it just because Otto Schmidt drew it. I don't really care about the Black Canary or Green Arrow or any of those characters, I just like the way he draws. You know, he does he does a really, it's really nice figurative work in his his, his color palettes on, on point. But uh, yeah, I, one one introduces a shadow of doubt when they start to traffic in those waters because I'll never quite know who's there for what reason.
0: Um, we're coming close to, uh, the end of our time, but there were just a couple more questions that I wanted to ask, uh, going back to the teaching thing. Um, and this idea of info heavy and demo light, that's not something that you see a whole lot of the majority of like tutorials that you can buy on like gum road. And, uh, when people are doing Patreons and stuff like that, um, art station, uh, it's like. It's all demo, you know. It's all like technique. Do you think that there's a place for some of the more philosophical discussions? And is that something that you might think that you would ever contribute to places like Gumroad or ArtStation and stuff?
2: Yeah, I, I, I guess we could test the waters. Um, there, there's just chats that I have like this with with the peers um, that I, I always feel like if these were to be recorded, that someone out there might. Enjoy listening to them, but
0: are you giving me permission to sell the recording of this on Gumroad?
2: Yeah. You do whatever you want with it. Okay. Um, this, it's your show. But uh, there's 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 two things that I I feel like you, you you risk by putting yourself out there. One is that through being too transparent and too available, uh, it, it kind of it gives people ammunition. To like your work less uh, because maybe they map something onto your work that doesn't exist in you. And by putting out your thoughts and philosophies, people who otherwise liked your stuff clash with you now for whatever reason. They might think that you sound annoying, or um, they don't. They don't like your uh, your stance on this, that, or the other. Demo content's pretty easy to make because you just that's what you're doing anyway. You just hit record, maybe say a thing or three, and. I mean, you and I know just how long it takes to make some of these things. So, you know, that's a lot of, uh, even if you speed it up, it's hours and hours worth of stuff that you can, you can say like, oh, it's four hours of material. Uh, you know, if you really condense all the nuggets into like one compact thing, maybe it would be five minutes. But uh, everybody likes playing that. One, they like being the voyeur you know, the, the fly on the wall. And the other one is they like to kind of like, well, my takeaway from this three-hour video was this. Oh, really interesting. I like the part where he did this thing over here with, you know, this layer function that I didn't know about. That was my takeaway. Uh, it's, it's, it gives people a way to kind of where's Waldo themselves through the content and pick out something personal uh, rather than just being like, your takeaway should be X, Y, and Z. Uh, hope, hope you all enjoyed yourself. See you next time um also people don't like to read a lot like so it'd be really easy to put out kind of pdf text stuff because it's easier to talk about art than do it Um, but again people would want that exemplified in, in images and if you've ever had to illustrate any talking point it's it's the problem of like how do you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without skipping steps you're like oh crap i just there's actually like five steps in this one sentence line that I wrote and now I have to execute them. Um, so there's, that, that's another reason why you don't see too much of just like the really wordy stuff. A, I don't know that anybody really wants it. They just want the product
1: and, and B. Um,
0: I guess I'm thinking of just like lectures, like where you would do where you would hold forth.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I, tr- I tried that with those creative trickery things on YouTube. They're, they're like this with this shitty camera. Um, you know, talking in real time with a little bit of an outline there for me to read from, but past a certain point, really not much. And I'm not stopping it or cutting it. Uh, Whenever we do our our little, little, we do like little Q&As and interviews on Lude School, that's completely live. Um, You know, we're we're not doing any gussying up afterwards. So I, I feel like, if I ever wanted to roll into doing kind of pre-prepared things like that, I could just kind of let the camera roll and with a good enough idea of where I was going, maybe chuck out a lesson or two. But again, it's not, not quite at that bridge yet. I'm still kind of testing things out and um, uh, I don't feel quite authoritative enough to hold court on some of these things yet.
3: So you did a a 10 week uh, design workshop with uh, the Workshop Academy. And that's where uh, Joby took your, uh, You were his instructor there. Um, are the uh, creative uh, trickery videos inspired by these uh, 10 weeks or are they completely different?
2: The second one, the constructive color one was lifted directly from an exercise that we did in the class. The, the first one wasn't, although we did touch upon acting and stuff like that uh, in, in, in the thing. That class changed around a lot. I did it three times and each time it was a slightly different class with slightly different, um, content. So, uh, to keep it interesting for me, I like just doing stuff based off of whatever's on my mind at the time versus dipping back into the past, uh, to, to try to, um, to refurbish old lessons. And I, w- I would much rather talk about things that are, that I'm struggling with currently, which is, one thing I'm really into right now is like uh, folds and drapery. And I've been asking lots of questions to people about how they handle it. And I've had super talented artists like um, Mike Kenji come to my aid, you know, basically for, for nothing put together all this wonderful uh, materials to help me learn about uh, how how certain kind of garments are constructed and how fabric folds under different tension scenarios and, and then I found out that there's a bunch of other people in my network that know a lot about that too. And they fed they, information into it. So uh, I, I never know week by week, month by month, what I'm going to be uh, hungry for. And I would hope that any educational material that I put together in the future, either for myself or for Workshop Academy, would be along completely different lines, just so that it's fresh for me at the same time that other people are experiencing it.
0: Well, um, slowly drawing it to a close, um, where would you like people to find you? You have lots of little secret stashes and little nooks and crannies that you like to occupy. But if somebody was hunting you down and wanted to dig through your trash, where would you like them to start?
1: Sure.
2: Well, yeah, if you're interested in the Lude School Discord and you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, my alias is Paula, which is my, 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 my first name with an A at the end. Uh, rock hard, rockhard, R-O-C-K-H-A-R-D To search for me on Twitter I should come up and there'll be information about the Discord there um, again, I don't put that in people's faces it's just sort of an extension of my uh, of my being and um, uh, particularly if you're interested in that kind of art that's where you should go Uh, And if you're experienced, we'd love to have you as part of our community. And there's instructions as to how to do that. If you're everybody else, uh, go ahead and check out my art station. I've been posting up a lot of weird kind of symmetry-based alien heads and stuff that are just fun for me to draw. I keep it pretty sketchbooky and real up there. And then if you want to get to know me better as a human being, you can come to Facebook and hear about uh, things happening in my, uh, my day-to-day life, uh, the sorts of content I enjoy uh, on, on streaming media platforms, what I've eaten for dinner, uh, what our cats are up to. Um, I, I always like, uh, I'll, I'll engage with people on artistic topics there too, and kind of use it to kind of poll people's opinions and advice on what kind of microwave to buy? That kind of stuff. <laughs>
3: have you Have you ever considered uh, streaming on Twitch? Uh, it the Twitch community actually is uh, has a nice segment that's like isolated from the gaming uh, section. That's like all artists or you know, Joby streaming on here, for example. And most yeah. of my friends have uh, been on the artist community. And they're like great people. There's very few trolls. So if that's something you're interested
1: in, <laughs> yeah,
3: I, I've,
2: I've been warming up to the idea uh, o- over time. Initially, I was highly resistant to it because I felt that it violated a sacred space between me and the page that I never wanted anybody to see. And I, I, you know, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't see it as something that I would, it was like my last holdout. And I've, I've tried, there's a, there's a service called Picardo.tv that people that are NSFW illustrators can use because they don't have the same censorship um, issues that uh, that Twitch and YouTube have. And I've tried that out a few times and that was kind of interesting I, I I do much prefer gatherings of uh, more than people. than I know people can do group streams where they they hop on with their friends. That to me is more appealing than just like doing the Paul Richards show. Uh, I, w- I would rather I would rather um, be with other people to be less lonely and not have to field questions and stuff.
3: Makes sense.
0: Well, we only have one more question for you unless moose did you have anything to follow up with
3: no i don't think so i think we got through everything
0: our last our last question that we always like to spring on people make it a (laughs) a real shocker what is one thing unrelated to career or side projects what's one thing that's happening in the world that you're excited about
1: Recently, I came into the awareness of a character called Gedis
2: G-E-E-D-I-S, through a YouTube channel uh, by this YouTuber named Wang, W-H-A-N-G, exclamation point, who does a series called Tales from the Internet. And it was a, this isn't really what was going on in the world now, it's more of what's going on in the world in 1982, where people were doing (laughs) uh, knockoffs of Weird, like He-Man kind of properties, and so there's this little guy uh, who was part of a sticker sheet that got kind of memefied. I'm always discovering memes, and this is it's just, it's a it's a it's a vintage creature from a non-existent property called the Land of Ta. And these sheets are they're fucking hilarious. And I went out and I got myself a Geetus T-shirt. I just love the idea that even after the creator of this knockoff nonsense property died, that this little critter has survived. He's got these buggy eyes and this kind of weird, like stumpy Ewokie looking body. And he's kind of ugly, but I just fucking love him. And I, I love, I love the idea that I, I, I love the idea of something that's not attached to a major IP having this strange, um, internet life. I could say the same also of, I, I recently discovered the SCP foundation that's been going for 10 plus years, but it's completely new to me. And my wife and I have been going through the entries and some of the video content of these like anomalous entities, these kind of campfire stories. What is it? Um,
0: what was that again? The SEP?
2: SCP S-E- foundation is like, it's kind of a, what you call it like a creepypasta or something. It's, it's a, it's a wiki sourced, Data bank of X filey kind of occurrences, hauntings, anomalous objects, eldritch gods that are that this fictional Men in Black style organization attempts to contain. Um, and there's thousands upon thousands of entries, and people all over the web have like spun these into different kinds of short film content and stuff, and some of them are genuinely horrifying and some of them are just really super cute and endearing, kind of like Getus. Uh So I like all those things that they're kind of under the surface of culture that you have to dig a little bit for. And then there's like these massive um, uh, communities underneath them. Uh, I, I, I like that there's so much out there that I've yet to, to tap into. That's what Say keeps me going
0: right now. Yeah, God yeah. bless the internet.
2: Yep, Bottom, bottomless well. And I want to thank you guys for, for organizing this chat and giving me something to do in my Sunday. So I, 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 I'm, I'm fully in support of these kind of discussions that try to kind of help people navigate their, their art lives and stuff. And I hope things that were brought up today aren't discouraging. And um, I hope that there are some things that will function as uh, 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 lights on your path yeah, please please reach out. Don't be shy. I think we'll get along really well.
0: Yeah, no, I I return that thank you as well. Uh, the pleasure was certainly ours. Uh just speaking for myself, you know, um there was a lot of great information and if I, I end up being the only one that listens to this again in the future, that's that's fine with us. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. It, 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 we might hang out a little bit more after all this COVID crap is done and you know, like uh so like Yeah. Between, between us, it's cool. If it winds up us doing something out in the real world, uh, I'm, I'm all for that.
0: There are a lot of people in chat that have had you know positive reactions to this as well. So um, kudos to you, man. And yeah, thank you so much for your time. I know your Sundays are pretty laid back, but nonetheless, it's uh, incredibly uh, important to us. And uh, we are very grateful that you've given us your time.